Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is February 18, and our chapter reading for today is Deuteronomy chapter 2. Yesterday, I introduced you to Devarim, words. That's the Hebrew name for the book of Deuteronomy. Arithmoi is the Greek name from the Septuagint. And it all has to do with the first sentence of the first verse. And these were the words, the words of Moses, as Moses began to rehearse to a generation that really had never had the law explained to them. It is fascinating to me that as you read through this material and you get into the book of Joshua, when we get into the period of conquest, which will be our fourth period in getting into the scriptures and making the timeline and the journey through the scriptures. The period of conquest says that the first thing they did when they got into the land is all of the male had to be circumcised and they observed Passover. The very first thing that God said for Abraham to do after he made the covenant with him is circumcise all of the boys. And the reason was that was the mark, the sign, the token of the covenant, the covenant that God had just made in chapter 15 with Abraham. And Moses knew that, and Moses had been slack and lax on that with his own son. And as you'll recall, Zipporah, the bird, had to help Moses with that, and she called him a bloody man because she had to circumcise him because Moses had been lax in that. And this evidently was a pattern because it was not demanded, even though it was commanded during this wilderness wandering period, because that's the first thing they had to do. As a matter of fact, the name of the place where they did this just on the western side near Jericho, after they had crossed into the promised land, was called Gilgal. Gilgal means the rolling away. The rolling away of the reproach, the rolling away of the foreskin, the circumcision. And then they hadn't even kept the very basic thing that God told them to do to never forget that they had been slaves in Egypt and under the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. And that was to remember the Passover. So they did that. And so Moses, during these desert years, had to remind them over and over again of why they were where they were and where they they were going. And this is instructive to us because it's so easy to forget Moses, Moses, the great man of God and Aaron with the tabernacle right there in the middle of them had glaring deficiencies in their walk with God. He walked with God. Yes, he was able to talk with God face to face, all the miracles and what Moses was able to see. But it is just so apparent that the old sin nature is within us, even when the Spirit of God lives with us, when we would do good, evil is always present, Rabbi Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. And so as they made their way through, we are given 
given a geography lesson in chapter 2. The scripture says in chapter 2 and verse 1 of Deuteronomy, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea. Now that's down south around Elat. As the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. Now Mount Seir, where on earth is Mount Seir? S-E-I-R. If you ever get a chance, you need to go to a place called Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Petra is the Greek word for bedrock. That is rock that is solid in the earth. It's immovable. Petras is a movable rock, a movable stone. Now, sometimes you will hear someone trying to tell you that Petras is like a gravel or something that can be tossed around. And that is true. You remember at Caesarea Philippi, just outside of there in Matthew 16, Jesus talked about Peter and his great confession of Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus referred to himself as Petra, the bedrock, not Petras, Peter, who was movable. You see, Petras is not just a gravel. It can be a huge boulder, but it's still movable. It's not tied to the earth. When it is tied to the rock underneath it, it's not movable. It is bedrock, as we would call it. That's Petra. Now, if you go to Petra, or Petra as we call it, in in southern Jordan today, you will see a remarkable, remarkable sight. It is almost mind-boggling, and they're continuing to uncover and uncover more and more of this rose-red granite city that's carved out of solid bedrock. The seek, the only way in and the only way out, except by dropping in paratroopers, was uh, literally a fortress. And uh, when you see this, if you're ever able to go, you see this, it is incredible. Incredible. It's a World Heritage Site with the UN. Not that that means anything, but not everything is classified that. Mount Seir is very near Petra. Now, Mount Seir was the home of Esau, and God gave that as an inheritance to Esau. And when Moses and the children of Israel got near there, God gave them some orders. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people, saying, You're about to pass through the territory of your brethren and descendants of Esau who live in Mount Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Now listen to this. They will be afraid of you, not because of the Israelites' great might, but they would be afraid that they were wanting to take over their territory, and and that's not what it was. And so God said, therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them. I thought that was interesting, just I always have, because God said, be cautious, not careless. You see, sometimes God's people throw caution to the wind. We always need to be cautious, and by that I mean not walking on eggshells, but we need to understand that human nature is what it is, and people are jealous, and they're envious, and they're always suspicious, and uh, we need to be aware of that as the people of God. It seems that in our day that the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light, because we just think God's going to tell us everything, and God's going to do everything for us. God will rarely, 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 if ever, do anything for us that we can do for ourselves. I've often talked with people who are struggling with their weight or struggling with their health, and I say, look, God wants you healthy, and God can grant you great health, but you've got to do your part. 
I mean, if you're going to smoke cigarettes for 50 years, there's a good chance you're going to get lung cancer. If you drink like a siphon, then you're probably uh, going to get cirrhosis of the liver. If you eat and your appetite is continually being fed and there's no discipline in your life and you don't eat properly and fuel your body correctly and you don't get the proper exercise and you are sedentary in your habits and your lifestyle, then probably you're going to be obese at some point or another. That's unhealthy, and we shorten our lives when we do that. We often condemn smoking, drinking, all those kind of things, but not gluttony. And sure, I know that there are other issues with people that many times are overweight, but it's not that way with everybody. You have to settle that before God for yourself. But what I'm saying is we need to understand that even in holiness, God says, pursue holiness. Now, that's a command. That's what he says in the book of Hebrews, pursue holiness. He says to pursue peace. Now, that's a command. Now, why would God command us to do something if he's going to do it for us? No, here's the reality. God does his part and has his part, but he also gives us a part, and we need to do our part. We need to be disciplined and faithful. And there are times when we need to understand that people are watching us, and they are suspicious of us. They are jealous of us. They are envious of us. They are prideful, and they're comparative, and they're on and on and on. Why? Because that's sinful. And by the way, Before we start pointing our fingers at someone else, we need to take a look at our own selves in the mirror. So God said, they will be afraid of you. They will be afraid of you. So therefore, watch yourselves. Be careful. Watch yourselves carefully. Watch how you conduct yourself. Don't even give them the idea that you're wanting their land because you didn't. And so we don't need to let our good be evil spoken of. And so he says, don't meddle with them. Sometimes we just need to tend to our own knitting. When I was a boy, my brothers and I rarely fought. I mean, we really did because we were just surviving and we loved one another. We never got in fights. We'd get in arguments from time to time, but really not that heated of an argument. What they were over were simple things simply because we loved one another and we were just trying to survive. We had to fight everybody else. We didn't want to fight among ourselves. But every now and then we'd get into it. My grandmother, who was a godly woman, She was very patient and tolerant, but she had a limit. I remember she used to say to us all the time, you boys need to tend to your own knitting. And what she meant was mind your own business. Because when you start trying to make sure everybody else is doing what they need to do, it's amazing how easily it is for us to slip into not doing what we need to do. Every man, yes, needs to care for another person, but we don't need to try to see that everybody else is doing their jobs. It's a big problem with brothers, sisters, husband, wives. You know, men want their wives to submit and women want their husbands to be loving and godly and all these things. But when you start trying to make the other one fit into their role, you get in trouble. What we need to do is do our role well, and then God will take care of the rest. So God said, be careful what you're doing. Tend to your own knitting. Don't be grabbing a dog by the ears. Don't get in there because these Edomites are strong people. I'm not going to give you any of their land. And look what God said. He said, no, not so much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. 
And he said, buy food from them, pay them. In other words, treat people as you want to be treated. You don't want somebody to come expecting you to do something for them for nothing. Well, pay well. I say this to pastors all the time. Pastors may be the worst tippers on earth, getting better at it because everybody's fussed at them. But I've been with pastors so many times, I have to go around behind many times. Not that I'm something, I've just, I've been on the other end of that stick. And I just, because I have a business and I understand how pastors are, and pastors sometimes are the worst as far as complaining and griping, being demanding, and wanting this, that, and other, and basically wanting something for nothing, and then they get mad at deacons because they're wanting that or other elders that they're wanting that. The fact is we need to treat one another as we would love to be treated. That's a, I don't think I came up with that. And so he said, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession, you shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them. Why? Because water was a great commodity. And so the Bible says that these 40 years, God saw that they did not lack anything. Then it says in verse 13, after they had been rehearsed by Moses as to what they were doing, here's what verse 13 says, now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. The Zared Gorge, the Zared Canyon. So we crossed over the Valley of Zared. And listen to this, verse 14, a critical one. You need to underline this or circle it in your Bible highlight. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until the time we crossed over the Valley of Zared was 38 years. In other words, they stayed around the Red Sea and Wadi Ram, that whole area. Wadi Ram was made famous in the time of the First World War with General Allenby and Lawrence of Arabia and the gathering together of the warlords of the Islamic tribes. And if you ever watch that movie, Lawrence of Arabia, you will see Wadi Ram because it was actually filmed there. And you cross that when you leave Etzion Geber, which is Aqaba or a lot when you in Israel, when you leave the Red Sea and you go north to Petra, if you're on a tour, you will go across Wadi Ram. If you ever fly over that, I've flown over it many times in a low flying jet on the way from a lot to Jerusalem. You will fly where you can see that if it's a clear day and you can see just like the map, the Zared Brook. And that was one of the borders of Edom. And it went all the way up to the Arnon Brook, which is mentioned later in this chapter. And that was the country of Edom. And then you went into Moab. Then you went into Ammon, which later became called Gilead. And all of this was mainly divided by gorges and brooks. For instance, the Yabuk, the Jabuk, is another gorge, not nearly like the Zered or the Arnon Gorge south of them, which divides Edom and Moab. But the Jabuk was a gorge in itself. And remember, that's where Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And then the Yarmuk, Y-A-R-M-U-K, is the division between the Habashan, the Golan Heights, as they are called today, the southern Golan Plateau, and Gilead. That's the border today between Jordan and Israel at the Sea of Galilee. So all to say, these are natural boundaries. And as you read through chapter 2, I hope you will look at your maps in the back of your Bibles, or if you have an atlas, or you can look it up on the internet and look at the Zered Gorge, Zered, then the Arnon Gorge, 
then the Jabbok. All of this is in modern-day Jordan. And then the Yarmouk, which borders at the Sea of Galilee, it comes right out. Many of you who have gone with me to Israel, we've come down that very curvy road at the end of the day. If we're going to be baptizing or something like that at the Jordan River, Jordan River runs out of the Sea of Galilee at Yardinit, the baptismal site. It's right near there where the Yarmouk is, and that is the border between Israel and Jordan. And then just east of there is the border between Syria, Jordan, and Israel. And so these borders and the geography, these are important, and you need to look at these Why is it important? Because we study as we go through these 365 chapters, we're going to learn the historical aspects of the Bible, the geographical aspects of the Bible, the linguistic aspects of the Bible, and the cultural context of the Bible. That's what I do as I walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.